0: This is an episode of The Ramp, a podcast produced by Deloitte Digital. Hi everyone, welcome back. My name is Bart, and during this episode I'll talk with Johan and Florina about customer retail engagement. That might sound a bit complicated, but it's actually very interesting. Also new during this episode is that we have video footage of our recording. So if you'd like to see who's speaking, now we actually can. It's a bit of a test this time, so please let us know what you think about it. But for now, I'll let our guests introduce themselves. Enjoy.
1: Would you like to go first, Flo?
2: Sure. Um, I'm Florine, part yeah. of the customer strategy design team, uh, part of Deloitte Consulting here uh, in the Netherlands. Been around for two and a half years and been mainly working in the consumer goods industry uh, on a range of different topics uh, for which we're here to talk today.
1: Awesome. Hi, and I'm Johan, um, Indian, very Dutch-sounding name, don't get too confused. Uh, I've been at Deloitte for about six years, so furniture really here, uh, as they sometimes say. Also affiliated to consumer products and services and customer strategy. Excited to be here, Bart.
0: Awesome. Cool. Today we're going to talk about consumer retail engagement. Quite difficult words. So I wonder what, what does it mean? What are we going to talk about?
1: Okay, so let me try and maybe break it up for you in the best way that I can, right? So um, the reason we thought this topic was interesting to talk about is because the evolution or the revolution of the way consumers engage with traditional retail and media has drastically changed over time right so gone are the days where 10 years ago you know you'd walk into a you'd walk into a store and you'd have neatly prepped salespeople with perfect pitches and you know everything was looking the same all the time and I have this example where Burberry every time you walked into a store you know you had the same fragrance and the same whiff every single time and that is what really constituted consumer engagement within retail That's not the case anymore. Not to say that that's not still important, the experience when you walk into a physical store, but the way for brands to engage with their consumers have become so much more expansive, right? So yes, there's the retail store, but there's also the own.com brand website. There's what they do on marketplaces and platforms, and there's what they do on multiple other kinds of media and retail channels as well. Um, and it's important for us because of the fact that at the end of the day, this is what you know constitutes inspiration, engagement, and then eventually purchase by by customers. And we thought it could be interesting to talk about.
0: Indeed, nice. Any cool examples of projects that you worked on in this particular theme?
1: Yeah, maybe I'm... Uh, Flo, please chime in. But I think that... Um, one example is, is a project that Florine and me worked on together as well. Uh, it was for a big uh, furniture manufacturer, where uh, the project was really about that. You know, the furniture manufacturer for has very had a very traditional way of doing business for the longest time. The way that you know that that manufacturer sold was you'd you'd you know you'd go with your family, one hour outside of a big city, you know, do your purchases there, etc. But then, in keeping with changing of the times they decided they needed to do it, change the way they engaged with their customers and sold to their customers as well. So Florine and me uh, did a nice project on kind of how they embrace that change and that evolution, how they sell on, you know, marketplaces, how they sell on social commerce, and some of these topics we'll talk a bit more about in detail as we go along. But yeah, it's, it's very real. It's it's kind of an evolution or a revolution that a lot of our clients are, are, are going through, uh, which makes it even more interesting to talk about today.
2: Yeah, and then there's of course a new toy, uh, the metaverse, of course, as well. So, uh, recently I also got a chance to dive into that topic and see how retail experiences are evolving there from potentially e commerce to social commerce to immersive commerce. So, there's a lot of evolution in this space. So, I think it's important to actually take a moment, break everything down for, uh, for our listeners, and uh, see what the opportunities actually are.
0: Nice. So, why are we talking about this topic now? What is happening in the field?
1: Yeah, and maybe the reason we're talking about this now is because this is is maybe a trend that will always be a trend, you know? So maybe some of the things we're talking about right now, like your brand website or marketplaces, they've been around for ages. But you know what really it takes to win on those channels has evolved over time, right? And maybe when when Florine and me did the project, you know, on, on marketplaces and social commerce, Two years ago, the metaverse wasn't as big a thing. Now it is, right? Quick commerce wasn't as big a thing. Now it is. So the idea is this space continuously evolves, and therefore there is value in you know, always going back to it in talking about that omni-channel engagement piece. Because it doesn't mean that suddenly, like I mentioned earlier, your store and your platform and all of that become less relevant. It's it, but, it, but it's useful to think about what that means in the context of all the new channels as well like social commerce and things such as those
0: okay customer retail engagement channels are the different ways a customer can engage with a brand and these channels are always changing there are a few keywords that we're going to touch upon during this episode social commerce quick commerce and eventually also the metaverse but let's first touch upon an engagement channel that's been there for quite a while marketplaces okay so, so let's let's take marketplaces as a, a starting point. Things like Amazon and um, uh, Zalando, I mean, they have been around here for ages. So what is new? What is going to change?
1: Right. Uh, I think that's a great question. So Amazon is still Amazon, right? In a lot of ways, Zalando no. is still Zalando in a lot of ways. I think uh, what's what's more important is considering if you're a brand selling on Amazon or selling on Zalando what it takes in terms of your right to win has changed over time, right? So, 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 so let me give you an example. Um, Zalando recently, um, you know, came out with a, with a press release to say that they want to almost halve the number of sellers on their, on, their, on their platform or on their marketplace, right? Uh, the move is basically directionally towards prioritizing quality over quantity, saying we want the right kind of sellers on our platform. So this makes it even more important then for brands that are currently on their platform to be the right brands, right? So um, so we, we can talk about two kinds of metrics, right? I won't get very technical here, but like there's something called right to sell metrics, which is if you're a brand, there's certain hygiene metrics you have to keep to to be able to be good and lucrative for your Amazons and your Zalandos of the world, right? One of them is very clearly... Um, you know, seller-initiated cancellation. So it's like if I'm a seller on Amazon, and I, you know, a customer has finished the entire, you know, pro- process of buying something, then I should not have to cancel after that is done. And this this varies from marketplace to marketplace, but in general, you need to keep that to less than one percent. If you don't keep it to less than one percent, then you're probably one of those fifty percent of brands that as a lando will deprioritize, right? The second one is actually shipment rate or a or, or kind of late shipment rate, which is that, again, if a customer has been told that he or she will receive a package in two days, then they should be receiving that package in two days. And often that doesn't happen because of expectation management, of kind of prioritization, etc. But these are very, very basic things that a lot of brands have considered over the years already, but it becomes even more important right now when marketplaces are really curating their product offer in terms of, you know, what their merchandise mix is. And if I am now a brand selling on an Amazon or a Zalando, I need to really keep these things in mind.
2: Yeah, and I think you see also a natural evolution of some of the bigger marketplaces. So Amazon has launched Amazon Live uh, as a new way to engage with its consumers, where influencers are broadcasting about products, uh, demonstrating them, it's a new way to selling, right? Where in the past you would just see a product on Amazon, click on it, view a few pictures and read the description and perhaps a couple of reviews because that's also essential to marketplaces. But I think now the dynamic is changing to a more interactive manner. So that conversational element, live streaming, you see a lot of marketplaces shifting towards that. Um, In Asia, Shopee uh, launching Shopee Live, Lazada launching Lazada Live. So there's Plenty of elements or examples of um, uh, traditional marketplaces that are also evolving themselves uh, towards less traditional uh, engagement ways.
0: What do these marketplaces then look like? What what makes them unique?
2: Yeah, I think that's a good question. I think traditionally the value proposition of a marketplace would be the uh, creation of an ecosystem in which sellers and buyers could. Collide basically, um, so it could be peer-to-peer platforms like a Vinted, for example, where you as a buyer would sell to another buyer. Uh, platforms like Amazon, uh, having actually established uh, sellers and uh, um, consumers like us uh, on the platform there.
1: But maybe that's a nice that's a nice transition back to your original question as well, right? Because kind of, an Amazon is still Amazon in a lot of ways. Zalando is still a Zalando in a lot of ways. But the kind of marketplaces on the other, we talked about kind of you know, which kind of brands would do well on marketplaces. On the other hand, the marketplaces themselves that are doing well are the ones that have also organically evolved over time and said, Hey, we're not we're no longer just connecting buyers and sellers. We're no, lo- no longer just, uh, you know, enabling P2P transactions. So now if your marketplace enables live commerce, right? Or enables, uh, uh, you know, coupon buying together where people can buy together, et cetera. A marketplace itself is organically developing into incorporating social elements and things such as those and becoming marketplace 2.2 and 3.0 in some ways, right? Which is Which is why then an Amazon is no longer the Amazon that we knew five years ago, but it's Amazon plus so much more.
0: Cool. I want to touch upon a a word that you said in the beginning, which is social commerce. Is that the thing that we mean, that we make these marketplaces more social, as a more interactive, or is it something else?
2: I think you can think about social commerce as the convergence of traditional retail channels uh, with social uh, channels. So these can be your traditional social media websites converging with your traditional e-commerce sites. And social commerce is positioned right at the center of uh, this convergence. So it means that there is uh, traditional e-commerce platforms incorporating more social elements, which can be group buying, um, live streaming, uh, the examples we talked about uh, earlier on as well. And then there's traditional social um, platforms like your social media sites that are including more commerce elements. Instagram launching Instagram shops, for example, where consumers can see an influencer, promote a product, click on it, uh, view a product catalog, and potentially even check out within the platform.
0: Nice. In your analysis, did you find any cool extreme examples of things that went wrong or things that went very well?
2: Oh, I think gone very wrong. It's always hard to pick one in particular. Um, But I think what goes well is when a brand, especially makes the social commerce opportunity match with um, the brand values and really let it live up to the brand purpose, moving away from very um, transactional um, uh, social commerce engagement, where it's, for example, just having a checkout feature uh, on Facebook, um, to really something immersive. And you see that happening more and more?
1: I mean, I think... uh I mean, connected to an example, I think one thing is important to consider is that you know when when a brand looks at social commerce as an as an additional engagement channel in some ways, it needs to be consistent with the way that they engage with the audience on marketplaces, on D two C, and things such as those.
2: Yeah, and I think a good example to note for uh, things that went very well or brands that performed well with regards to social commerce is also brands that leverage new features uh, and engage with some of the platforms to actually pilot these features. So I know uh, Puma actually piloted a new uh, AR feature uh, together with Snapchat, where consumers could actually create a yeah a lens uh, in their Snapchat environment with a new shoe, and then also check that uh, product uh, out, uh, read some of, it, uh, of the content related to it, but then also purchase it directly within the app. Uh, so I think these kind of examples where uh, brands collaborate also with some of the um, uh, social media platforms, for example, to test new features. I think that's a great opportunity for a lot of other brands as well to actually explore the boundaries of what's possible right now. Um, A lot of brands are uh, followers because they just don't have uh, the capacity to experiment, perhaps. But one way is actually to leverage experimentation of some of these existing social media platforms and uh, test together actually whether it makes sense. And I think coming back to the question where you um, asked whether there were some brands that de- did things wrong, I think it's very important to also consider the ethical boundaries in which you're operating. Because we're evolving towards a very social uh, and immersive space where boundaries, age boundaries, for example, are blurring. So um, one example that comes to mind for me is also Heineken launching Heineken Silver into the metaverse. Um, the age restriction that we have in mind uh, when entering a website, it's already a very blurred line, right? You need to enter your age limit to access a website. But in the metaverse, there's so much, um, uh, there's very limited control uh, on uh, on some of the ethical boundaries that we have in real life. So I think that's very important to consider as well when um, making new uh, engagements.
1: And maybe just to add to that, I think the one other thing is that we talked about it earlier, right? At the end of the day, it does... All of these new channels, all of these new modes of engagement, does not mean that your traditional retail store is completely not important anymore. It still is, right? So there's this there's this idea of fidgetal, as they're calling it now as well, which is kind of physical meets digital, wherein a lot of brands and a lot of sellers are looking at kind of how to in, how to best incorporate digital experiences, whether that's social or otherwise, into their physical stores, right? So Apple, I think, is a is a good example where you know going into an Apple store is still always a lovely experience. It's always has been, it always will be. But I think Apple has now a lot of kind of digital experiences within that store, et cetera, as well, that borrow from a lot of the social elements that Flo talked about in terms of community, et cetera, where you, where, you know, you can, while being in the Apple store, you can also still look at kind of recommendations and reviews and compare prices and things such as those. So you're bringing both together in the best way possible and then and then making a very educated decision before you actually buy your product. Got it.
0: Physical stores aren't disappearing anytime soon and brands are making it easier to engage with them and with other customers using various social elements. Now let's dive into the next keyword that we introduced in the beginning, quick commerce, and let's start with what it actually means.
1: So I mean... uh you want to, yeah. So, so maybe the de- I mean, from a definition perspective, I think quick commerce is anything that 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 lends on the instant gratification part we talked about earlier. I mean, I mean, it borrows on the food delivery concept that has yeah. been obviously there for a while, but now you're doing it for kind of any groceries and kind of household items, etc. as well, right? So it's like with with with, with e-commerce and with 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 with, uh, with marketplaces, you are still ordering from the comfort of your home. But maybe, you know, in the case of like, let's say, kind of Prime, Amazon Prime, etc., you'd get it in about a day. Um, with quick commerce, it's normally smaller items, you know, you probably, I mean, just getting uh, uh, apples and a tomato uh, to you deliver to your house. But the idea is you're ordering from the comfort of your home and you're getting delivered to the comfort of your home. Uh, and, and that's basically how the term quick commerce was
2: introduced. Well, actually, our Danish colleagues have done quite a bit of work in the quick commerce space. Uh, perhaps their uh, view on this topic can be a nice addition to uh, conclude as well. Absolutely.
3: The quick commerce market, defined as the delivery of any goods in below three hours, it's growing and evolving worldwide, with quick commerce platforms dynamically evolving their business models and value propositions. In fact, the well-known ultra-fast meal and grocery delivery platforms are expanding their products offering and starting to include multiple non-food brands and stores. In the meantime, new quick commerce players are entering the market with innovative value proposition focusing only on consumer goods products. To react to this change, well-established e-commerce giants are speeding up their delivery times and starting to offer same-day delivery. These trends make the quick commerce market rapidly evolving and continuously offering new opportunities for brands. For most consumer goods companies, quick commerce will be another channel to take into consideration and integrate into the overall channel ecosystem and strategy. Within the quick commerce market, companies can implement different strategies, serving different purposes and require different levels of involvement. In particular, they can sell their products wholesale to quick commerce platforms or they can activate their retailers by inviting them to list their products on the platforms, they can open their branded stores on the platforms, or they can fuel their D2C by offering ultra-fast delivery using their own .com. In order to select the right business model, companies might assess, among other elements, their brand recognition level and the level of consolidation of their retail distribution landscape. Overall, Companies in the quick commerce market should calibrate their ambitions, focus on few selected high potential players, and build strong partnership to enhance their test and learning approach.
0: That was Eduardo Bellaccini, senior consultant at Deloitte Denmark. Quick commerce does indeed seem like a very interesting channel to connect with customers. But as Eduardo mentions, it's not for every brand and requires a lot of management. Let's now dive into this final section of this episode. We'll talk about this always-moving field. And of course, we'll talk about the final important channel. The, the fact that it's always changing, the fact that there are new channels coming, Well, you mentioned in two months, that might be totally different. Sure. Our work is never over. How how do we do this?
1: And, but that's what makes our work interesting as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> <part of> it. <laughs> Yeah. Indeed, indeed. Uh, but... What I'd like to say about that is I think, you know, let's say we worked on social commerce strategy for a client, right? Yeah. Because now the metaverse has come about and that's the shiny new toy. Yeah. It doesn't mean that our learnings from the social commerce piece becomes less relevant, right? The, in, in independence, it's still relevant. What now, we, what now needs to happen is understand how that corroborates or accentuates new learnings from the metaverse piece, right? So at the end of the day, the way I look at it is kind of building blocks building on each other, where the work we've done on, you know, one particular channel or kind of retail engagement piece is still relevant. It's about how that then blends together with the shiny new toys on the horizon to kind of come up with this utopian omni-channel piece, like I mentioned.
0: So uh, let's move into that that shiny toy, Ferdinand, because (laughs) we have um, picked it uh, a few times already in in our story. The metaverse is what you mentioned. Can you tell a bit more about that?
2: You want me to give a definition? Or, uh, because that's L- the well, difficult part, actually. Let's start <laughs> with the definition.
0: Yeah, it would be nice.
2: Yeah, well, a lot of different business leaders and companies have um, t- started to engage into the metaverse and started uh, investing into the space. I think the metaverse at Deloitte, uh, we defined it in very short terms, the internet, but then in 3D. And it actually consists of three different uh, metaverse archetypes. There, uh, The term is again. So we see three different pillars of ways to engage within the metaverse. And that helps us actually to make the metaverse a little bit more understandable. Um, So first of all, you see the uh, customer metaverse, which is basically all around duplicating um, the consumer life that we have into the virtual world. So it can be attending a virtual concert, walking into a showroom, trying on new products, uh, participating in games with your friends, socializing. Um, And we see that happening quite a bit. Uh, A lot of consumer brands have started their experimentation in this space. So most likely, a lot of consumers uh, associate the customer metaverse with the definition of the metaverse. So Nike launching Nike Land, Forever 21 launching Shop City on Roblox, for example. there's a lot of brand opportunities in this space. And uh, they've been, at this point, primarily been explored for marketing purposes. Um, but then there's also a second archetype, which is a little bit more technical. And it's called the industrial metaverse. And it's all around uh, creating a copy of a real-world environment to simulate processes and optimize uh, real-world environments, so to say. So it can be a copy of a factory It can also be even a copy of Planet Earth. We see NVIDIA uh, trying to create a copy of uh, our Earth to advance climate science, for example. So it's a little bit less intuitive when it comes to thinking about the metaverse, but we definitely see it as one of the components. And then the last archetype is actually uh, the enterprise metaverse, and it's about changing the way that we work and learn. And you can see this in training environments, onboarding experiences, so... um, I believe that a lot of companies are trying to build their first day um, at work into the metaverse. Uh, at Deloitte, we ha- have hosted a Masters of Digitalism campaign where consu- uh, our employees basically could uh, create digital art and showcase it in a virtual museum. Within the metaverse community at EMEA level, we also um, engage our meetings into the metaverse in spatial. So we, uh, we meet up as avatars, so to say. So that's quite fun. Um, But the opportunities are plentiful. So think about surgery training, um, uh, leveraging AR technology, for example. Um, Astronauts going to space, but not really going to space. Military going on missions without actually having to engage in real fights. Um, So the training opportunities are endless. And then I think uh, the majority of the new channel opportunities are really positioned in that customer metaverse that I discussed at the start where you see a lot of brands trying to exploit it for commercial reasons, where the return on investment has not been proven so far. But uh, a lot of experimentation is happening, and that's quite exciting to see.
0: I think if you ask, well, a lot of people about the metaverse, most would say, I think at this point, that sort of the bubble has popped. Like, okay, yeah, we've seen all the hype, all the commercial things that they wanted to do in there. How do you see this? I, is there a future in the metaverse and when is this future going to start?
2: Well, I think the future has already started because brands are still investing despite some of the news, le- uh, news headings that we're seeing. I think that at this point, it's all about that um, experimentation, right? Brands getting a feel of what works within the metaverse and what doesn't work. So perhaps a lot of brands have started to engage with the Metaverse purely for marketing purposes, but there was no clear underlying value for consumers. Um, it would purely be, um, for example, GP Morgan has launched a digital bank into the Metaverse, um, but there's nothing happening except a tiger walking around. Um, and perhaps that's not really the value that you want to deliver to your consumers, right? Um, so they need, to come to a metaverse environment, to actually have a good time, socialize or go there for work, have productive meetings. So I think the value uh, is there, but it might uh, just take a little bit more experimentation. And we see that, for example, the rise of generative AI, for example, is really an accelerator for future metaverse environments. It can really speed up content creation, for example, where it now takes a lot of 3D design capabilities Potentially in the future that can be done in hours, uh, so to say. So uh, achieving that skill um, in creation of content for Metaverse is uh, really important at this point. But also s- stepping away from traditional marketing experiences towards more holistic, value-adding retail experiences almost.
0: Nice. Any final thoughts about the topic or things that you want to tell to the, to the listeners that they need to do, need to see, need to listen to?
1: Um, I mean mm-hmm. please add on as well, Flo. But I think, you know, Foreign talked about uh, said a word which is experimentation. Mm-hmm. And I think that may be the kind of backbone or the kind of structural foundation of a lot of what we've talked about, right? Nobody's got it right in the first attempt. Everybody's been on a journey of kind of failing, failing fast, fortunately doing better and eventually getting there. Like I said, we I mean, we've known about Amazon for like fifteen years, but we're still finding ways to really do best at Amazon as, a, as, as if, if you're a seller, right? So uh, more than anything else, it's about kind of, you know, being willing to experiment over and over again, understanding that the regional nuances are always going to exist and you can't just take one strategy when it comes to engagement and, you know, plaster it globally in a lot of ways. And as long as you're willing to kind of, you know, contextualize and understand that there are peculiarities you have to deal with and all of that, um, I think, you know, as, as a brand, you'll always be able to kind of move forward.
2: And I think for brands, I would always um, recommend to think also quite cri- critically to your existing business to see what disruptive factors might not be disruptive as of now, but really to think ahead and also be open towards that. Because, of course, when a business does well at this point in time, it doesn't mean that it will still listen to the consumer needs, so to say, um, 10 years down the line. So I think trying to experiment really upfront uh, when something is just emerging, so to say, uh, and get learnings from that, it will s- set you 10 steps ahead. And if you learn together with tech platforms, if you learn together with partners like Deloitte, for example, we can really try to um, yeah, collectively learn and navigate that space. Because if you only try to follow, you'll never champion it. Uh, you'll only learn from the best but what if you could be the best yourself so try to always think critically about your uh, current business model and um, what factors might uh, might be there that disrupt it in the future
0: and that is the end of this episode we touched upon a lot of different topics within customer retail engagement channels social commerce quick commerce and eventually the metaverse but as mentioned this field is rapidly moving so new channels are popping up all the time Before we end, I'd like to thank Florina, Johan and our guest Eduardo for their stories. And of course, I'd like to thank you for listening. Let us know what you think about this episode. And I hope to see you next month again.
1: Ciao!